You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Well, it's good to see you and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Uh, I so appreciate you and just amazed by all that you do for your little kiddos. And I'm so thankful for my wife, who's with uh, her mother in Louisiana today and with my kids celebrating uh, their grandmother. And I'm thankful for my mother. Uh, without her, I wouldn't exist. So, and that's pretty much true of all of us. So let's turn together. My gift to every mom here today is we're just going to preach the Bible. We're going to preach God's word and enjoy Christ together. So turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can find one on the ground next to you, or you can take your device and you can go to Hebrews 13. And we'll begin in verse seven, where we've been looking at the book of Hebrews, where we keep looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and how this last bit of the book is calling us to run the race with Christ and to endure till the end. Because what's happening with these Hebrew Christians, the original audience of the book of Hebrews, is they are tempted to leave Christianity because of cultural pressures, because of persecution, because of the difficulty. So they're thinking about going back to Judaism, which was accepted by the Roman Empire. And so for us, our temptation isn't to go to Judaism, but to go to a kind of Christianity that can be camouflaged into the culture. But Christ calls us to more. He calls us to much more with him. And so as we do every week, if if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word and we'll begin in verse seven. Beginning in verse seven, the Holy Spirit tells us, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you all the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us as we listen to your word. Would your words be life to us now, encouraging us, convicting us, comforting us, helping us 
to run the race, to endure with you, to go to you today, King Jesus, to walk with you to the end, to honor you and to acknowledge your name over our entire life. And it's in your mighty name that we acknowledge and that we pray right now. And it's in your name, King Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I always wonder about kids today and the kind of role models that they have. I, I remember uh, my role models. I'm sure you remember you, yours. I remember being a little kid, elementary school, thought I was going to be in the NBA and looked up to Michael Jordan. You know, he put the goal down to like seven feet and you try to dunk it, stick your tongue out and all that kind of stuff. And today kids got Steph Curry and LeBron and all kinds of great role models. And I think movies are also role models for me too, for some reason. When Apollo 13 came out, I thought I'm going to be an astronaut that goes on safe missions. I want to do the safe ones. When Twister came out, I wanted to chase tornadoes. When Gone in 60 Seconds came out, I wanted to steal cars. I mean, just like whatever. I'm not sure what movie led to this point uh, in my life. But there's athletes and there's superheroes. And those can be fun inspiration for kids. And, and parents are, are role models too, and especially moms. And the sacrifices. I mean, my wife has caught more throw up in her hands than, I've, than should be allowed by the government. Just the things that she does for our kids are amazing. And she's a great role model for our kids. And, and you are for your kids, whether they realize it or not. And adults have role models too. We reach adulthood and it doesn't mean, okay, we don't have any more role models anymore. People that help us in the Christian faith People that help us endure to the end with Jesus. And by God's mercy, he's given us surprising role models. Church leaders. Remember your church leaders. Look at verse 7. Remember your leaders. Well, what kind of leaders? Political leaders, coaches. No, he gets very particular. Which ones? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, remember your pastors. This is uncomfortable for me to talk about in a sense. If these were my ideas. But these are not my ideas. These are God's. So since they are God's, we can freely talk about them and I can preach on them without feeling greasy. Because if these were my ideas... I would, not, this, I would not bring this up because I know how weak I am. I know how sinful I am. But by God's mercy and by God's grace at work, and not just in my life, but in all six of your pastors, God wants you to remember our faith and to imitate it. Look at what he says. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Your pastors, we are meant to be an example for you. And an imperfect one, no doubt, which is why Jesus is in the very next verse. But God wants you to look at your imperfect pastors for your good, because we are all imperfect disciples of Christ. We are imperfect disciples of Christ. We just happen to be out front leading the way. This is one example of why church membership and being committed to one local church matters. And I know we've got a lot of visitors here today from Mother's Day. And so this, this applies to you too. Who are the leaders that you follow in your faith? Who are the leaders that teach you the word of God? The ones you listen to, as we're going to see in verse 17, the ones you obey and the ones you submit to. 
And here at Redeemer, we have six pastors, six elders, and he's saying to imitate our faith in this, in this way. When we suffer, when we struggle, watch how we respond. Watch how we try and, and love one another and love others in the church. Watch how we try, stumble forward, following Christ. Watch how we honor our spouses. It won't be perfect. But even in our sins and in our imperfections and in our stumbling forward, how we handle that should be imitation worthy. Teaching you, hey, we sin too, but here's how we confess. Here's how we walk with Christ. Here's how we trust Christ and all of life. And I love that. I mean, how we respond should be imitation worthy. If it's not, then if you don't consider the pastors of the church to be imitation worthy, then I would encourage you in all kindness, then we shouldn't be your pastors. I shouldn't be up here. And you should be a part of a church where you can do that. But there's another sense here where he considers past tense. Look at what he says. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, not who are speaking the word of God, not those who speak, so not present tense, but those who spoke to you the word of God. And consider the outcome, the end, the finality, the result of their way of life and imitate their faith. I think he's also calling these Hebrew Christians to remember their leaders who have died. Maybe those who have moved on. Maybe those who were persecuted and fell under the sword for following Christ. We should remember our past leaders, previous churches, and imitate their faith, good or bad. Imitate what we should and avoid what we should. Every pastor will disappoint on some level. And there is only one pastor who will never disappoint and he's our great shepherd, our great high priest, our true senior pastor, Jesus himself. He will never disappoint us. But pastors are meant to be role models of faith, and they are for me. The other five pastors are role models for me. I have mine, previous churches, previous leaders, previous people who have discipled me, and how, seeing how they suffer, how they love, how they work, work and run their race how we cling to Jesus together and make it to the end. I mean, this is a serious and shocking verse to remember for you and your pastors. Look at verse 17. He talks about pastors and leaders again in verse 17. In verse 17, he says, obey your leaders. Submit to them. You remember what's happening in the book of Hebrews is these Christians are thinking about leaving Christianity and going back to Judaism. So he's telling them, no, I want you to listen to your pastors. Obey them, submit to them. How? Why? Next phrase. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Now, this word obey and submit, these are strong words. And really, our culture doesn't like this. This is weird to our culture that we would say we want to obey our church leaders and we want to submit to them. I mean, here's why we should. And this verse is true for me. So I obey and submit to the other five elders. They're my pastors. If we're teaching you from God's word, calling, you, calling to you from God's word, pleading with you from God's word, obedience is demanded. I love, I think probably one of the best Mother's Day sermons ever. I saw my friend Russell Moore just shared this on social media this morning. It's Jesus at the wedding at Cana. And they're out of wine. 
and they're asking, we need help, what do we do? And Mary, Jesus's mother says, do whatever Jesus says. That's a great sermon for all of us. Do whatever Jesus says. If, and so as your pastors, if we're teaching you from God's word, calling to you obey from God's word, it must be, must be heeded. Not because it's our counsel. You should not have to obey our opinions and obey our thoughts and submit to what we think is a good idea. I, I'm not concerned about that. And I don't think any of the other five pastors, that's not our heart. We're not here to micromanage your lives and we can give counsel, we can give encouragement, but if it's not from God's word, it's not binding on you. We aren't here to control your lives. We aren't called to that. We are called to watch over your souls, to see you follow Christ, to see you honor Christ, to see you make it to the end with Christ. We just wanna see you make much of Jesus with your life. And we want to see you at the end of your life, at the end of the age, when we're raised from the dead to be presented before King Jesus, mature, honoring him. As Paul says in Colossians 1, we proclaim him. That's our ministry, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the aim of our life. So if you've ever wondered, should I listen to those guys? Should I obey them? Should I submit to them? I don't know. If we're calling to you from God's word, it's because we want to see you presented before King Jesus without any spot or wrinkle, honoring him. And we have to give an account for this as those who will have to give an account. So please pray for us. I don't know what this will look like, having to stand before God and give an account for this church, but it makes it all very serious and very urgent. And you can help us. Look at what he says next in verse 17. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. That would be of no advantage to you. Now, usually sometimes you read this verse and you think, okay, your pastors, we should have joy. We should not do this. That is so true. But don't miss the context of this. He's talking to the church and he says, Let them do this. You let us serve you with joy. Or you let us serve you with groaning. And the word groaning is not the eye rolling kind of groan. It's it's a grief. It's a sadness. Let them do this with joy. You do this. You you give us so much joy by by the way you serve and, and by the, or you can give us joy or can give us grief, groaning by the way you live. But our church, when I think about our church, and you give us joy when we hear about your attempts to love your neighbor and to evangelize and, and to evangelize and to love and to serve without any prodding, without a sermon series on evangelism, when you're out there just evangelizing. You give us joy when you pray for one another. You give us so much joy when we hear that you're trusting God in the midst of your sufferings and we see it. You give us joy when you're here, faithfully worshiping on Sunday morning with the church. You give us so much joy when you want to make much of Jesus and you want to put him first and you want to put Christ first above all and the gospel's vital to you. You give us joy when you welcome new folks into the church and into your small groups and You give me joy when you let a fool like me teach you God's word. 
and when you receive it as God's word. But we can be grieved too. We groan at times. And this is no benefit to you, meaning it doesn't benefit you when we groan because of the way you are living. We grieve when you aren't honest about the state of your soul and your life and your marriage to others. It grieves us when we see blatant disregard for God's word and for God himself. We groan when we see how you plow ahead stubbornly dismissing counsel from fellow Christians and ignoring pleas to repent from us and from your brothers and sisters and just pursuing your sin. And we're saddened by the way people treat Sunday, the Sunday morning gathering like it's not a big deal. Beloved, help us serve you with joy. There is more benefit to you living a joy-igniting life than a groan-growing one. There is more benefit to you living a joy-igniting life in others than a groan-growing one in others. And it brings us joy when you pray for us. That's why he says at the end of verse 18, pray for us. We need your prayers and gives us joy when I know that you're praying. I can't tell you how many times I've been discouraged. I've been just burdened by things happening, the people in our church. And then I get a letter in the mail or I get a text or an email. It's like, God uses you at the right time just to hear that you're praying for us. Because you can see how desiring to act honorably in all things. If you don't ever know what to pray for us, you can pray this, that they would act honorably in all things. There's tons going on in our church, always from, from counseling, shepherding, heavy matters and counseling, building programs, ministries, preaching. I mean, tons always going on. Pray that we would always make much of Christ and that we would act honorably in all things because it's not automatic. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the risen Christ at work in us so that together, so that together as the body of Christ, we can enjoy our steady Savior and his grace. That's why if you look at verse 8, I love that verse seven, so remember your leaders, but now he says, let's remember our true faithful leader. Verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love this verse about Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, the writer of Hebrews has been talking so much about enduring till the end with Christ. And he reminds us of our steady-handed, ever-glorious Jesus. Our Jesus. And beloved, today on Mother's Day, just like every day, our most pressing need, everyone in this room, our most pressing need is that we would see by faith this sustaining and empowering awesomeness of Jesus Christ. This is what you need more than anything else. That you would see by faith the sustaining, empowering awesomeness of Jesus. Because here's why. We still sin, don't we? We sin. We disappoint others. We disappoint ourselves. I think about my life sometimes, it's just embarrassing the temptations I give into in my mind and in my heart. The thoughts and actions and lies and the, and the foolish patterns that we all give into. And we can begin to think things like, God, how could you love me? How could you forgive me again, God? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loved you yesterday. 
He loves you today. He will love you forever. You need that. I know I need that. To know that Jesus really is the same for me. Jesus forgave you yesterday. Jesus will forgive you today. And Jesus will forgive you tomorrow. Did Jesus help you yesterday? Jesus will help you today. And Jesus will help you forever. When Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and to grant us forgiveness, to release us from them, and he rose from the dead, he unites us to him. So that now forever we are connected to Jesus Christ by trust in him alone. And what's so amazing about Jesus here is that we learn he isn't going to change. Jesus is not a Jekyll and Hyde kind of savior. Jesus doesn't get moody. We're saved by faith alone, grace alone, in Christ alone, and it's not going to change. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the plan of salvation is never going to change. It's always going to be by faith alone. At some point, Jesus is going to say, you know what? I I think let's, uh, let's change gears here. I want you to earn a little bit of your way to heaven too. It's not going to happen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We will always be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Amen. Amen. He's the living and reigning Savior right now. The same Jesus we see in the Gospels, the kindness he has to the woman at the well, the grace and mercy he shows to the disciples who can never seem to get their act together. That's the same way he is towards you and me. The same love he had for Peter is the same love he has for you. The same kindness he showed to the woman at the well is the same kindness that radiates down from heaven because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, who else could this be said about? It can be said about no one else in human history that they are the same yesterday, today, and forever because we are trend-given people. You remember bell-bottoms? You think bell-bottoms are crazy? You remember jinkos? Man, pant legs the size of a trash can. And they're coming back. And you remember mullets? Popular, they're coming back. Mullets. We are trend-given, functioning, ever-changing kinds of people, but not Jesus. He doesn't change. He doesn't deteriorate. You think about this. The risen Christ has been in heaven for 2,000-ish years now, and he hasn't deteriorated one bit. You know, athletes, they get older. They begin to lose a step. They lose some explosiveness. They're not as fast. Jesus has not lost a step. He has not lost a step in leading you. He hasn't lost a step in being a kind savior. He hasn't lost any explosiveness of forgiving us and bringing us back to him. But listen, there will be times when we're tempted to believe that he has changed. There'll be times we're tempted to believe that Jesus is changing the way we're supposed to function as though we need supplements to Christ, as though there's something else that we need rather than him and his grace. That's why we must reject graceless Christianity. Look at verse nine. So he tells us, remember Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now in verse nine, he says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings because people will try to teach you something different about Jesus, something different about his grace. He says, don't be led astray. 
For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Grace is not just the entry point to Christianity. It is the vital nutrient of life. It is the protein of the Christian life. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by food regulations, which have not benefited those devoted to them. I put the scare quotes up there to reject graceless Christianity. I put the scare quotes up there for a reason because graceless Christianity isn't real Christianity. And it's scary and we must stay away from it. There will be a variety. When he says, don't be led astray by diverse, it means a variety of strange teachings you'll hear. Things that will promise peace. Things that will promise power and things that will promise money and things that will promise comfort and things that promise security and things that promise holiness. But if Jesus in his grace isn't at the center, the bottom, the top, the sides, if Jesus is not what is offered, it is not Christianity. And we really need to understand this, that in our entire lives, there is nothing more relevant to us than Jesus himself. If we try to give each other counsel and tips and all these kinds of things, and Jesus is not what is ultimately offered us in his grace, it's not Christianity we're offering each other, but man-made religion. Even if we subtly think, okay, I need to really change this in my life. I'm going to, you know, our marriage is struggling. We're going to go to a marriage counselor. That's good. If Jesus is behind it all, if Jesus is the locomotive power and motivation behind it, Okay, I'm going to start reading my Bible. I just, I just got to read my Bible and then I can kind of get over this sin. That's, that's fine. If Jesus is the power behind it, the motivation, the goal, the aim, his grace. There's not one problem in our lives where Jesus and God's grace isn't what we need. There will be other things we need, absolutely. But we always need God's grace first. There will be practical, tangible things we can do. But if Jesus isn't in the midst, then it's not Christianity. Because guys, if Jesus isn't the answer, then what question is being asked? If Jesus isn't the motivation, what are we trying to do? Do we want to honor Christ or just not be be an embarrassment to others around us? Do we just want to feel better? If Jesus isn't the hope, then what do we really want? Do we want him Do we want to know him and the power of his resurrection? Or do we just want to look like good Bible Belt Christians? He says, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food regulations. Guys, grace strengthens us. It's calcium for our bones. Knowing Christ, walking with Jesus, enjoying his death and his resurrection, because he is the grace of God. You know you know you're being changed when you enjoy the grace of God and you're empowered by the grace of God. And you can, only in, you can only be empowered by it if you enjoy it. And if you're really enjoying it, you're being empowered by it. Strange teachings will come at us. And strange teachings, what they do is they try to maneuver you into Christ's likeness without Christ. Strange teachings try to micromanage your growth in Christianity without Christ himself. He gives the examples of food regulations. You can see it here. Not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. There were things in the Old Testament that have been fulfilled by Christ now in the New Testament. 
They were done away with by Christ himself. They couldn't eat, you know, certain pigs, uh, certain kinds, all pigs. They couldn't eat certain animals, different kinds of hooves and the ones that chew the cud. You can see all this wild stuff in the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, he says, you can eat bacon now. And that's when all God's people say, amen. <laughs> and all these things are now free to you. And there are some animals like ostriches and clams. I don't care about eating those. I'm fine. I don't need an ostrich burger. I'll take the bacon. But people in the first century were still teaching, it's not a godly thing to eat that food. Uh, we know Jesus said it's okay to have bacon now. It's okay to eat ham. But the godly thing, the more mature thing, would be to not eat those. He says, don't listen to that. This is really the bottom of strange teaching. Teaching that has a reputation or an appearance of being a good, the good Christian thing to do. But the Bible doesn't say so. Strange teachings are the things that have an appearance of wisdom and look like the godly, Christ-honoring thing to do, but actually the Bible doesn't say so. And your pastors here, we've had to deal with this on many occasions because the Bible Belt is the main exporter of strange teachings. God only helps those who help themselves. Wrong. God helps those who know they cannot help themselves. Now we need Jesus Christ. There's a man who used to go to our church. He wanted me to take a stand on homeschooling, to write a position paper on homeschooling and how great he thought it was. I refused, told him I wouldn't do it. Because one way is not more holy than the other. I mean, even among our elders, the six of us, I private school, another family homeschools, another family public schools. And on the elders who, whose children are all grown up, one taught in a public school, one teaches in a private school, there are a variety of ways for that to be done to the glory of God. I refuse to draw lines and regulations where the Bible doesn't. I think God did a pretty good job without my help. I don't think God needs my appendices to his word. And the same man thought it was wrong for Christians to drink alcohol. I understand that conviction. Even though he admitted the Bible says it's only a sin to get drunk, not to drink it. But he said, I think it'd still be best if we told people not to drink alcohol. But the Bible doesn't say that. He would say, well, I still think it's better. Why don't you go tell Jesus that at the Lord's Supper? See how that goes. He thought we should make a rule where church leaders don't drink alcohol in the church's zip code. I don't know how you come up with that other than through years of training and legalism. One of my best friends, he wanted us to say, wanted to argue and say that it was sinful for women to work outside the home, that homeschooling was the only way to go. And he had a list of about 20 other things he wanted to talk about. And I just told him, we're done. I don't want you coming to our church anymore. You're too dangerous. Too dangerous for yourself. You're too dangerous for our church body. You've become a wolf, and I, I don't want you here. This is real. This is not just, oh, well, we had difference of opinions. No, do not be led away by strange teachings. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't need anything else. If we have Christ, we have his word, we have all that we need. Christ strengthens us, not man-made regulations. Christ empowers us to live his word, not man's word, not each other's word. 
Jesus is enough and he helps us endure to the end. I love what Paul says in Colossians. He says, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as though you still belong to the world? Why do you live as though you still need man's wisdom? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. Now look at this. They are human commands and doctrines. Just human stuff. All of these have a reputation for wisdom, for promoting self-made religion and false humility and severe treatment of the body. Oh, we look so holy by following these things. He says, they just have the appearance of that. They are really of not any value in curbing self-indulgence. Grace strengthens us. Christ himself strengthens us, not our manufactured lame rules. That's why no matter the cost, no matter the cost, we go to Christ and his grace. No matter the cost, we go to him. Look at verse 10. He's comparing the Jewish altar of sacrifices and now our altar. Well, what, verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent, the tabernacle have no right to eat. So now he's alluding to sacrifices in Judaism where they would put these sacrifices on the altar. And some of them, the people, the offerer and the priest, they could eat in the sight of God showing God has accepted your sacrifice. But now he says, we have an altar that is better which is why they shouldn't leave Christianity for Judaism. They shouldn't go back, which is why we shouldn't dial back. We have an altar that we have the right to eat from. And this is a clear allusion to the Lord's Supper, where Christ says, my body is broken for you. Take and eat. My blood is shed for you. Take and drink. This is the altar we eat at. Christ's body Jesus says in the gospels, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has a part in me and believes in me. Do you have the right to eat at the altar? Do you have the right to eat at the Lord's Supper? That's what he says. They don't have the right. Who are they? Those who don't believe in Christ. So we have the right. Can you rightfully eat of the Lord's Supper? Do you have the right to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Not because you're a good person, not because you try to live the moral lifestyle or because you've read a lot of the Bible, but because you trust in Christ alone. Because you believe you will only be saved and are only forgiven and only welcomed into heaven because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. And know this, to really follow Christ, to walk with him will be costly. Look at verse 11. He talks about a different set of sacrifices now. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, these, these sacrifices are not eaten. Rather, they are burned outside the camp. So some of these sacrifices were not allowed to be eaten. They were taken instead outside of the camp where all the people were, outside of the tabernacle, outside of the gate, outside of the fence, to an alleyway, to a burn pile, to a place of trash, and refuse, discarded. That's why he says in verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate. Jesus was also discarded. The way he was treated by the Romans and the Jews in Jerusalem was like this. They dragged his mangled body outside of the city. 
outside of the camp, treated him like trash, treated him like nothing special, crucified him, dangling naked on a cross before everyone, rejected and despised in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. He cleanses us. He forgives us. He makes us new. He was treated like trash so that you and I could be welcomed into God's kingdom, declaring us not guilty, saving us by the blood of Jesus. And so now what does that mean for us? Verse 13, therefore, since that is true, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. This means if we're going to walk with Christ, we're going to have to go with him out there. We can't be culturally acceptable Christians. We're going to have to bear the reproach, bear the disgrace, bear the mocking, bear the shaming, bear the loss of popularity, bear the loss of some friendships, bear the loss of some business, bear the loss of people's opinions and self-respect because we're walking with Christ. We're going to have to walk the Calvary road too. We're going to have to be crucified to the world because we've been crucified with Christ. We cannot expect to be treated better than Jesus. To be called a Christian will be, is to be despised by the world. To be called a fool, to not fit in with this world. As Jesus says, remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Remember, these Hebrew Christians thinking about leaving because of the heat of the culture. And he tells them it's to be expected. It is to be expected that we would, get, we would be cast to the outskirts of our society. As Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. And I love this. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. Let's go to him. Let's go to him. You know why? Verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. If we are more eternal minded, more new Jerusalem minded, new earth, new heavens minded, we will go with him no matter the cost. We'll honor Christ no matter what we lose. We'll honor him and his word and we'll do whatever he says, no matter what we lose. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is all weird to the world, but it makes perfect sense to his disciples. Bandwagon believers bail. True disciples endure to the end and go to him. And we offer the praise of lips, his name on our lips. Like he says in verse 15, let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, not dial back, not draw back, not shrink back, not hide, not be ashamed, but the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We will acknowledge the name of Christ wherever we are, wherever we go. We won't hide because Jesus is more than a role model. 
He's our Messiah. He's our Savior, our God, our Lord. Let's go to him till the end and for millennia to come. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.